Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. It has inspired movies, fanatics, and cults. But this can't be the reason the Spirit inspired the Revelation, nor the reason the Church has kept it all these centuries. This year, we use the inspired visions of Revelation. The angels, demons, men, and monsters to reveal to us the mystery of Christmas. Good morning, everyone. This is the season of Advent. That is a Christian season of four weeks that lead up to Christmas. And the first Sunday is the Sunday of Hope. Hope is our theme this morning. Hope is what we've come to hear about. So hope comes in all shapes and sizes. You could have a small hope, like, I hope my house will be clean. Now, for me, it's a lot deeper and darker than it at first sounds. I got the idea as a kid that people who lived in messy houses are undisciplined, lazy, and gross. And I got that because every time we would drive away from someone's house we had spent the evening with, my stepmom would always comment on the cleanliness of their house. I remember one time coming home, I had spent the night at a friend's house. I said, his mom made nachos. She's the greatest. And she said, she's a nice lady, but her house is filthy. So I learned that don't be duped by people's nice behavior. If you really want to judge someone, you look at how clean their house is, and that tells you all you need to know. So as an adult, I knew one thing. If our house wasn't clean, it meant that I was undisciplined, lazy, and gross. And then I got married, and I should have known that my wife and I were headed to trouble before we were even engaged, because her bedroom at her home where she lived with her parents was quite something. Her dad and I used to joke that the body of Jimmy Hoffa was probably hidden in there somewhere. And once we were married, I became increasingly critical of my new bride's inability to meet my housekeeping standards because I had hoped for better. Hope comes in all shapes and sizes. It was this time last year that one of my bigger hopes was dashed. This Advent tradition that we're doing, uh, that was a key feature in my family's spiritual life growing up. The, for those four weeks leading up to Christmas, every Sunday night, my dad would stop everything. He first set a mood. He turned off all the lights. He turned on the Christmas tree. He'd play some soft Christmas music. Then he'd read us prayers or stories from the Gospel of Luke or Matthew, the stories of the days leading up to the coming of Christ. And then we'd have a special treat. At our house, it was these German cookies that they actually got from Germany and sparkling grape juice. More than anything, I wanted to share that tradition with my kids. And I have since uh, they were infants. But last year, something started changing. Our daughter grew withdrawn and staying in her room all day and night, surfing the internet started wearing the same pair of black jeans and the same black jacket every day. That black jacket, by the way, she found in our Halloween costume closet. But for her, it became her actual daily wardrobe. 
Then came the night that we were nosing around trying to figure out what was going on, and we read a text message she had sent to a friend. At 5 p.m. on a Sunday, just a few minutes before Advent, her text message said, I have to go now and do stupid Advent. It's a religious thing. I hate it. I had hoped that this tradition would mean so much more. Hope indeed comes in all shapes and sizes. It was Christmas this time last year that I met Ben Krupp, who had a very, very big hope. Ben's wife had died six days before Christmas. That's how we met. I did the funeral. And now at the age of 81, Ben was diagnosed with lung cancer. Ben had never been baptized, and he very much wanted that. So we started meeting to discuss the meaning of the sacrament of baptism and his understanding of God and Christ Jesus. And I got to hear a lot about his life, and he had a fascinating life. I got to see his antique car in his garage that he had literally restored from the tires up to the roof, piece by piece. Ben had a great sense of humor. One time he showed me a picture of, uh, of about 20 of his Shriner buddies, And he said, now only one of these Shriners is still alive. Which one? I asked stupidly. (laughs) Well, he said, that would be me. (laughs) Ben was an inspiration to his kids and his grandkids. And we all prayed fervently that he would be healed, the biggest hope. But he just kept getting worse. Ben started chemo for his cancer, and we held out hope that his treatment would restore him to health. So as you saw, we are in the book of Revelation for this series. Very unusual choice for the Advent Christmas season. Revelation is the last book of the New Testament. I like to think of it as the graphic novel of Scripture. Because Revelation doesn't tell us, it shows us with the types of creatures that you would see in a comic book. So I like to think of it as the graphic novel of Scripture. And today in the graphic novel of Scripture, Revelation, the hope of God, God's plan for us is shown as a scroll. It's a big scroll, it says. God's plan is so big that the scroll has writing on both sides. And you know that it's God's plan because God has put seven authenticating seals on the scroll to say what's written on here was written by the hand of God. We are reading this scroll today in God's throne room in Revelation chapter 5. So if you have your Bible and you want to open to Revelation chapter 5, other than when we preach Genesis, it's the easiest book to find. Just start at the back and hang a left. So... Revelation chapter 5, if you have a Bible app, you can open to that, and we will begin in verse 1. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll. It was sealed with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? Who can make God's plan for this world and our life unfold? Who has the power to help a young married couple come to some understandings about life together? How to keep a house, how to spend money, how to raise kids, whatever that little hope is you have this morning. Who has the power to break the seals and unroll the scroll that will help your daughter or your son believe in God again? 
or your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad. Whatever that big hope is this morning. Who has the power to open up the power of God upon that biggest hope of all, healing and life for someone who is in sickness or in danger? Now, fortunately, in Revelation 5, this scroll is being read in the throne room of God, and it is full of amazing people. An earlier chapter in Revelation says that there are 24 elders around the throne of God. Most scholars I read, and I agree, say that those 24 elders represent the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel, all the people of God there has ever been. Also in the throne room of God, there are four living creatures. Each one has four different animal faces, and that represents all of the wonders of God's creation. So someone in this throne room is going to have the power to open this scroll for us. In this hall of heroes and magical beasts, someone's going to have the power to let God's plan unfold. But no one steps up. Verse 3, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Not even the apostles are worthy. Not even the 12 tribes of Israel are worthy. Suddenly we realize there isn't a creature on earth or heaven or under the earth who's able to open God's plan on our hope. Now, as far as my hope for a clean house, things really went from bad to worse in our family with the introduction of a new family member. I'm not talking about our daughter who drops her book bags at the top of the stairs and leaves her bathroom towel on the floor. I'm not talking about our son who eats yogurt on the couch and leaves his spoon on the ottoman, not even licked clean. (laughs) I'm talking about the cat. The cat. If you like a clean house and you don't own a cat, you are really missing out. Cats help you find all the half-filled drinking glasses you've left lying around by knocking them over, every single one. Unfortunately, cats only work the night shift, so that spilled water sits on your laminate floor, causing it to buckle and bubble. But don't worry, that buckling cannot be repaired. Cats poop in a box in your house and track that sand-like grit out of the box onto your carpets, even onto the counters and tables where you prepare and eat food. But don't worry, you can train your cat to stay off the table if you stand there with a newspaper raised over your head 24 hours a day. I promise you, if the cat gets on the table and you swat it just once, it will stay off the table for 30 seconds. Before cats, you vacuumed along the baseboards with your hose attachment just to catch stray candy wrappers and Legos that the vacuum couldn't reach. But now with cats, you have a solid mat of white fur you can actually see being sucked away as you go around every square inch of the perimeter of every room in your house. Before the cat, my wife and I just bickered like amateurs. Can't you put your junk mail envelopes in the trash? But after the cat, we fought like red-blooded Americans. Why did you bring such a filthy animal into this home when you know how unhappy it makes me? Why do you hate everything I love? It was the cat who sent us to marriage counseling. (laughs) 
verse 4. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. And our daughter, turns out it wasn't only Advent that she hated. She started asking other questions about our faith. Why do we say we can only date Christians when we're Christians? Why do we say you shouldn't live together before we're married? Why are you asking, I said, you're only 13? She ratcheted it up a notch. Why do you hate gay people? I don't hate gay people. Would you do a gay wedding? I said, look, honey, last week you came all undone because you found out Justin Bieber smoked cigarettes. Now, what is all this new questions? And then she dropped the bomb. I don't believe in God. And why is that, I said. She said, I just find it all hilariously unbelievable. And who can argue? Angels in the sky announcing to shepherds that the Savior has been born from a virgin. If someone doesn't want to have faith, there's nothing in this story that's going to convince them. And my daughter's whole life flashed before my eyes. Not my life, her life. And not her past, her future. All the young women I have counseled through the years who got away from their faith. And all the hardships and difficulties and terrors they have fallen into now had my daughter's face. And all the pain they caused their parents was now about to be mine. Verse 4, then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. And yet my problems were so small. I still had my daughter to love. She was still alive. Ben, he started chemo for his lung cancer, and it just made him worse. Very quickly, they decided he was untreatable. And he had only weeks to live. So Ben and I met a time or two more this time to talk about peace with God and finishing well. And to pray together for a miraculous healing. Ben looked at me in his living room and he said, I'm ready to be with God. But don't get me wrong. I'd like to go on living if I can. Verse 4. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. Verse 5. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. One of those 24 elders was it an apostle? Was it a tribe, one of the tribes of Israel? Don't know. But he leans over and he says, Hey, don't forget the lion is here. Wait, the lion is here? You know the lion from the tribe of Judah. Predicted and spoken of all the way back in Genesis where the Bible began. Did you forget? Go back to where the Bible begins. That first book, Genesis. Go to chapter 49. Verse 9, Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. 
Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. The lion of God, the rule of God is right here in this gift wrap box, and we have waited 1,200 years to open it. Verse 5, But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne. He has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. He's not just the lion. He's the heir to David's throne. Now we're up into Samuel in the Old Testament where David was promised an heir would be on his throne for all eternity. Maybe we thought God forgot that promise when Persia conquered Israel and then Greece and then Rome. But no, the son of David is in this gift wrap box we have waited 900 years to open. And he will open this scroll. And he will break the seals and he will bring God's word alive in your life and mine. I'll get along with my spouse and you'll get along with yours. My child will follow God again and so will yours. My friend will be saved from death and so will yours. The hope of God, the Lion of Judah, has come to us this Christmas and here he is. Okay, that's not a, that's not a lion. It said there would be a lion in there. Okay, can we look at verse 5 again, please? But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He's worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals, right? Okay, verse 6. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but was now standing between the throne and the four living beings among the 24 elders. What is this? And what is that? You know, my grandma used to give gifts like this. I was 17 years old. I unwrapped the present. A radar detector. Oh my gosh, can you imagine what a 17-year-old could do with a radar detector? She said, now open the box. I opened the box and inside socks. <laughs> she had gotten someone else a radar detector some previous year, being the thrifty depression era gal she was. She saved the box, packed socks into it the next year, and rewrapped it. So at grandma's house, you learned not to express specific excitement until you had specifically seen what was actually inside the box. This was supposed to be a lion. My marriage needs a lion. My kids need a lion. My dying friend needs a lion. What's with the lamb? Well, verse 6 says the lamb has seven horns. The horn is the Old Testament symbol of power. The number of seven in the Old Testament represents completeness. So the lamb has complete power. So I guess they're trying to say this lamb rules everything. I don't. I don't see how, but verse 6 says it has seven eyes. I'm glad this one doesn't. That would be, that would be kind of creepy looking. 
It says it has seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. That's another Old Testament reference, comes up about three times. The sevenfold spirit of God is God's spirit, plus the spirits of wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. We've just been offered the last thing we would expect. And what's this? I don't know if you all can see this if you sit at the back, but this lamb has got blood on his neck. This lamb's already been sacrificed. Now, the passage says the lamb's standing now, but has been slaughtered. So we wanted a lion, but we got a lamb, and not just a lamb, we got a slaughtered lamb. I guess we'll keep reading. Verse 7. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So they're praying too. They have a hope too. It's represented by these bowls of incense. And when this lamb appears, they fall down and they hold the gold bowls up to the lamb. Verse 9, and they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So God does hear our prayers. But we have to be ready for him to answer them in unexpected ways. The lion we need may actually be a lamb. And of course, the astute among you have figured out that we do in fact serve a slaughtered lamb. He is Christ Jesus, slain on the cross, the lamb of God. Now I'm kind of with my daughter, who said this is all hilariously unbelievable. I mean, when I need a lion to help my wife learn about submitting to my authority, I know the next verse says submit to one another, but for another time. When I need someone to convince her of that so we can live at peace under our own roof, isn't a slaughtered lamb hilariously unbelievable? When I need a lion to show my daughter the truth of the Bible and the lies of this world and to convince her of the serious errors she is making, isn't it hilariously unbelievable that a slaughtered lamb is going to get that job done? And when I need a lion to come tear the cancer out of my friend, isn't it hilariously unbelievable that God answers that prayer with a Savior who couldn't save himself from dying? I'm starting to see why preachers don't preach Revelation very often. This may may be a one and done for this series. Now, I wasn't joking about going to marriage counseling. We did go, and and it did start with the cat. Now, especially for guys, I I don't think counseling is what you think it's going to be. I assumed counseling is where you go to pick a winner. I'd be in this corner, and she'd be in that corner, and he'd come out with a whistle and a stripe shirt. And since counseling, I thought, was sort of a girly thing to do, I assume they just always pick the girl, no matter what you said. 
But we didn't go in there to pick a winner. No lion showed up. And I was quite wrong. It was not a girly thing to do. We did learn some new skills in that room. And in that office, God began to speak to me in a new way, and I began to grow a new pair of eyes. Suddenly, when I got home, I stopped seeing a messy kitchen. And I started seeing my son having fun baking cookies with his mom. And my daughter learning to cook. And I heard my wife tell her, Now, someday when you move out or go off to college, you'll be much healthier and you will save a lot of money if you can cook for yourself. I can't teach my daughter those lessons. I need my wife and a messy kitchen. And in those moments when we would get our house to perfectly clean and I'd make everyone stop and I'd proudly announce, now family, look around. Doesn't everyone just feel better? When I got outside my own euphoria long enough to actually look at my family's face, I saw that they did not feel better. It was a lot of blood and guts and screaming to get to that perfect house. And imagine this, the absence of dirty socks on the floor does not send everyone into seventh heaven the way it sends me. It did not bring them the same sense of joy. My family isn't happy living with me. That's what I saw. They weren't always unhappy. When were some times they were happy? Well, I remember this time we were all doing the dishes in the kitchen, and I looked out the window, and the sun was going down really fast, and I said, hey, why don't we go out in the driveway and play a game of Foursquare before it gets dark? And everyone froze like it was some sort of trap or test. And they said, even though the dishes aren't done? I said, oh, we'll come back and do that after dark. Everybody dropped it, like, you know, before I changed my mind, and ran outside, and we played Foursquare, and we had so much fun. In fact, we played till the streetlights came on. In fact, we played till it was bedtime. Those dishes, they didn't even get done that day at all. When I focused on them, when I valued them more than I valued my own lust for order, that's when they were happy. When I died to my need to have spatial order and started caring about relational order. Now, I'm going to say that again because I paid a counselor a lot of money to get that line. (laughs) When I died to my need for spatial order and started focusing on relational order, that our relationships are in order. You know who tells us to die to ourself? The lamb. You know who saved my marriage? The lamb. The unexpected gift of the slaughtered lamb. Now Ben, my friend, was 81 years old. Let's be honest, he was going to die someday of something and probably not in the terribly distant future. I got the call on a Tuesday morning. Ben was dying. I got there and the house was full of people. He was surrounded by family. But when I walked in the room, he saw me come in and he said, 
That's what I was waiting for. The prayers. Reading from the scripture. And we did it together. The lion had not come. Ben's daughters gathered around him. And gasping for air, he quoted the Apostle Paul. He said, I have fought the good fight, and I am at peace. And he breathed a long, slow exhale. And a second later, he sucked in another breath, and he said, oh, get on with it. <laughs> I know. You can, you can laugh. It happened, and it was a little funny. It was as if he had imagined the perfect last moment and the perfect last words and the perfect scene of the three daughters and he wasn't getting it. And I moved closer. I said, Ben, now you're going to have to surrender to God this one last time. You're going to have to let God choose the moment of your passing. You're not going to be able to make it happen. And he nodded and he said, all right. And he got comfortable and he got quiet and he waited for the Lord who dropped by about four in the afternoon. Having said all his goodbyes, Ben got into the passenger seat with God and they left together. It was a lamb's passing peaceful and surrendered. And though his family misses him, he left us all a great gift, the knowledge that he didn't feel cheated. He knew where he was going, and he wanted to be there. Do you know who else, on the night of his death, said, I'd rather go on living, but not my will, but yours be done? The Lamb. Do you know who helped Ben surrender to his moment of going home with God? The lamb. Now that moment when my daughter told me Christianity was hilariously unbelievable. We were walking home from Sonic, a fine thanks for the ice cream I had just bought her. I wanted to have it out with her right then and there on Flagstone Drive. Because she who had never read more than two or three books of the Bible and who had led her 13 long years in a peaceful suburb, thinks that she's going to tell me, who has studied the scriptures in three languages and spent half my childhood in hell, what is and is not hilariously unbelievable. So I stopped because I'd had it and decided we're going to have this out right here. And on this calm day, a huge wind came out of nowhere. And it swept dust into my son's eyes. Sorry, son. And he panicked. And so I had to go back and take care of him and walk slowly back with him, who was now blinded, while she stomped home. I had a lot of time to think about the exchange we were about to have on that walk home. And when I arrived at home, all I had left to say was, I love you no matter what. I love you even if you don't believe what I believe. It was a lamb's response. 
Jesus prayed forgiveness on people who crucified him. If Jesus can love Roman soldiers who are driving nails into his feet, surely I can love my own daughter who says my faith is silly. The lion never did come. I just kept loving my daughter. There was nothing else I could do. It's a sad day for a preacher when you realize you really have no powers to make anyone believe in God, not even your own family. That's God's work. You're just there to love, as powerless as a slaughtered lamb. Six months later in June, I stood on the beach out at Longview Lake with all of you. My daughter was kneeling in the sand beside me. While they read words she had written over a loudspeaker for us all to hear. I'd like to read to you what she wrote that day, six months after the big wind. She wrote, I'm deciding to be confirmed today because I now have a better understanding of God's everlasting love and mercy after going through some difficult trials. At my new school, we had a conversation about God sometimes putting difficult people or situations in our path so we can learn for the future and so we can come out of it a better person and closer to God. I feel like that's exactly what happened to me over these past couple of years. During that time, I felt like God had abandoned me, but now I have come to realize that God was always there for me, watching over me, helping me, and loving me. I think the biggest thing we need to remember is that God loves us through everything, no matter what happens. I also think we sometimes just need a little reminder. Maybe the Lamb's way is more than enough. to sacrifice what we think we have a right to, to lay down our hopes before him in surrender. I asked my daughter about Advent again this year in light of that text message that we found last year. And she said, I always loved Advent, Dad. I just texted that to look cool in front of my atheist friends. Well done. Let's uh, move forward. Tonight, I invite you then to join my family and most of the church in prayer and meditation and celebration of hope. So first, set a mood. Turn down the lights. Turn on the Christmas tree if you've got it up. Turn on some soft Christmas music. There are Advent wreaths today that you can pick up. There's a suggested donation if you want to do that. Anything we collect more, we'll give to social services for folks in need this time of year. If you don't have anything on you, go ahead and take the kit anyway. We can square up sometime in the future because you don't want to miss this first night of hope. Then read the prayers. There are booklets in those kits, and they contain short prayers and readings about hope. If you have small children, you probably want to try to get that done in about 15 minutes. If uh, it's older kids or grown-ups all together, then there's a discussion there. You can take your time. may take you 30 minutes. You're going to need a leader's guide and then a participation guide for everyone who can read because you read the prayers 
uh, together. So at my house, we have a leader's guide and then three participant guides. If you're going over to someone else's house, then you just need a participant's guide for each person that you're taking. And then after, have a treat. Enjoy a time of laughing and talking and eating some special treat that you only have this time of year. Our kitchen counters right now are covered in sugars of all types as my wife will be baking for this evening. It's not very lion-ish. I don't know why it's done so much for me and my family. I guess that its power is unexpected, like the lamb. In fact, why don't we right now take some time this morning to invite the power of the lamb, the unexpected power of the slaughtered lamb into our life. That lamb of God on the night he was betrayed took some bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. Then he took a cup and he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Poured out like a slaughtered lamb. So as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death until I eat and drink it with you in my kingdom. He says, I will be in my father's throne room. This is the way to heaven, the way of the lamb. I have won the victory doing this. Don't lose sight of that. So the way we do this here is uh, we come forward and we tear off a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup. And when you receive it, you receive not only the forgiveness of God, you're also receiving the way of the lamb, the way of surrender, the way of dying to ourself and what we want and what we demand and the lion we think we ought to be getting to receive the lamb. Now, if you need some help getting there, as I needed some help getting there, as you can tell from all these stories, we have a prayer station we hope might help. So if you want, you don't have to, but if you would like, before you get to the communion, you can peel over to here. First of all, there's a candle you can light that represents, you know, that incense going, that prayer going up to God. Uh, they have found a um, prayer here, a poem, a prayer that you can read to help get us to release the lion and embrace the lamb. And then you can go and tear off the bread and dip it in the cup. So straight to the cup, or if you want to come and have this prayer first, because you need some help taking on the way of Christ, the way of the Lamb in your life that's here for you. Therefore, let us stand together, and let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day may Christ be as real to you as this food and this drink. Amen. Come forward when you're ready. Well, we have a, uh, a special benediction that we do during the Advent season, so that starts today. Let us stand together. Um, we do the bold lines all together, and then uh, I do the not bolded lines. Watch and pray. Those who are longing await his appearing. 
Watch, wait, listen. Peace be with you.